Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of season 3 of Ignite the Flame Audio. So glad you could join us whether you're a new person here or whether you've been here for the last two seasons. Welcome to you. For those of you who have been here already you'll know how an episode is structured. For those of you who are new here the great thing about season 3 is that the story that's being read to you is not chronologically linked to the books that were read in the previous seasons. So you're more than welcome to come straight into this season without having to have visited the previous two seasons. Of course, if you are new to this particular episode, I would advise you to go all the way back to the first episode of season three, just so that you can listen to the book from beginning to end. If you like what you hear, I would encourage you to go back and listen to season one and then season two, as those books are chronologically linked. Of course, for those of you who are new here, just going to break down the episode for you. What we do is we read a chapter from the book, in this case being Abattoir Black. Then we go into a section known as the Origin of Ideas, where we discuss the ideas that were in the forming process of that chapter, sort of like a director's cut behind the chapter. Then we go into a section known as Tips of the Trade, where we discuss tips, and we just share them with those of you who are aspiring to be authors, or those of you who are already authors just looking for that little bit extra. Of course, this season comes with a disclaimer, and as we mentioned in the previous episode, the inclusion of graphic depictions, and more specifically, the gore content, increases in these last couple of episodes. So the previous episode, this episode, and the next episode, there's an increased warning in this disclaimer. So I'm just going to re-emphasize on the points that we touched on last episode. I'm not going to go into too much detail because... I sort of went on a bit last episode, but it's, it's just for your safety. We're just going to reiterate. There is an age limit of 12. So if anybody is who is listening to this season now and you are not of the age of 12 or above, I would highly advise you not to listen to this season because it does contain graphic content that I don't feel is appropriate for your age group. If you are 12 and above and you have someone around you that is less than that age, I would encourage you do the responsible thing, usher them out of the room, pop your headphones in just to make sure that they are kept out of earshot. Just make sure that this content is not reaching them so that no one's getting scared, no one's having nightmares because that's not what we want. We want people to be able to enjoy this content and to be mature enough that they can handle this type of content. Obviously, as I mentioned in the last episode, The graphic content does increase during these next few episodes. So if you are of that age, if you are the age of 12 or above, if you're not too sure about the content, have someone, preferably around the age of 18 or above, listen to this content first. And if they decide that it's appropriate for you, then go off their decision. If at any point you're listening to this content and it makes you feel ill or scared, stop immediately, stop listening immediately and just walk away. Stop the episode. Don't return to it until you are of an age that you feel that you can handle that content. Because what we don't want to do is to scare you or make you feel ill because this content is not appropriate for your age group. As I mentioned in the last episode, I'm going off my own personal experience because there's not an age restriction for books. I don't know why there's not a system in place, but there isn't. So I'm going off my own personal resolve, what I can handle and what I could handle at that age and what I was being subject to in school at that age. So if it's too much for you, just stop. Stop listening, walk away and don't come back to it until you're of an age where you feel like you can handle the content, you know, because we want to keep you safe. We want to keep everyone around you safe. We don't want to scare people. We don't want people to feel ill or feel sick because they're not ready for the content. Okay, so... We're just looking out for you guys, that's all. 
So I just encourage you, do the responsible thing, know your limits, and everything should be okay. Okay, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. Abattoir Black, Chapter 6, Harvest Time Officer Raymond begins to sprint, launching his arms from front to back to drive motion. He passes each paddock, filled with animals, all thirsting after him, chickens with blood-ridden beaks and balding feathers, having not seen daylight for years, embraced only by the flesh around them. Cattle filled the second, with stained faces and udders. They were feasting from the remaining offal, saved from Eustace and Mildred. A single herd of sheep stood on one side, stalling, waiting for their time at the feeding frenzy. The horse was panting and whinnying, whilst the sheep stared gormlessly at the unsuspecting prize. Officer Raymond headed for young Billy, and just made it past the bull as the gates were pushed open. Leaping into the air and swerving to dodge his enormous horns, Raymond called to the child, Come on, Billy, we have to go now. Can you run? Raymond screamed. Yes, sir, Billy proclaimed. Then run, Billy. Run! He unshackled Billy's legs from the seat. They strode out as one, getting closer toward the abattoir entrance, the bull gaining on them every step of the way, as they ran through the corridor and funnel into a dead end. Only cabinets half empty remained there. Quick, Billy, hide! Raymond ordered. He shoved Billy into one of the cabinets. He attempted to lure the bull away, further down towards the end, towards a ladder, half encased by a tube of skeletal metal. He remained there, motionless, allowing the dark to hide him. But as he soon realised, the blood on his head was more than enough to draw the bull toward him. It was a powerful animal, with shoulders each as wide as a man's torso. Its bulk rivaled that of a small tractor, with a set of horns measuring five feet from tip to tip, and a head as thick as a battering ram. All of that combined into a fearsome killing machine, with its eyes now fixated upon Officer Raymond. He took a deep breath and urges the bull forward, saying, Come on, closer, closer, that's it. Don't you crave me? Don't you want to feed on me? The bull swung its head from side to side, crushing several of the cabinets in its wake, just missing Billy by a few inches. Billy remained shocked but silent, as he peered through the gap in the top of the door, seeing nothing but darkness, pierced by a single beam of light, illuminating the ladder. It was such an easy task to get to the ladder, only it was guarded by such a trial. All Billy could do was stay quiet and hope that Officer Raymond would come for him. As the bull grew ever closer, it began to pick up speed, almost a charge, and Officer Raymond retreated into the dark, firing a single shot. Billy opened the door, not knowing what to expect. Suddenly, it was torn wide open, and Officer Raymond, looking afraid and blood-covered, demanded, Come on, Billy, move! Billy realized that the bull had been struck in the shoulder and had managed to evade it by a fraction of a second. Raymond had gambled on its poor eyesight. Quickly, he urged Billy to climb the ladder, following closely behind as the bull began to stir. Charging again, it misses Raymond's feet by a fraction, and it stared at the two of them as they climbed to the upper level, overlooking the remainder of the paddocks. The bull, realising its defeat, stormed off as though to plan its next attack, leaving Raymond and Billy to wonder how long they had left. <sighs> Don't worry, Billy. 
you're safe now. Raymond reassured him. Thank you, officer. But what about my mum and dad and, and Moira? Raymond glanced over to the witnesses, but he saw that each of them was too far gone. Moira gouged and ripped up her back. Her eyes had been torn from their sockets and her skull ripped wide open by the brood of chickens, lacerating with their sharp talons. Still pecking at her lifeless body like vultures, stripping flesh from bone and swallowing it whole, before lapping up the blood with their pale white tongues. Clive lay there, motionless, as his stomach had been ripped from his torso. The horse had bashed his head open with its hooves and devoured what leaked out. The sheep were tearing and gulping down his innards as they competed for the most tender morsels. The crows and the rats swarmed around the remaining corpses and began to pick the skeletons clean, leaving only a pile of debris in a matter of moments overlain by the shadow of infested individuals, a blanket of moving decay. Finally, Daphne is grabbed by the cattle and pulled by her hair. The pig's feet had pulled her apart. Her abdominal region was beginning to bruise and inevitably split as she released a gurgle from her mouth. Her halves were pulled apart, spilling blood over the ground and bathed the piglets in her life essence. They fed on the severed intestine and left the larger pieces for the adults, as they tore and ripped chunks from her broken body, crushing bone and meat at every step. The cattle had torn open her upper torso and gorged on her lungs as they fell from her ribcage. Her lower half was chewed and massacred within the mouths of the sows as they made their way through her clothing. Officer Raymond held Billy close and rested his head against his chest, hiding him from the brutal scenes before them. It's too late for them. I'm sorry, Billy. Raymond grieved. Who, who did this, officer? Billy asked. <laughs> who did this? And wept. I'm not sure, Billy, but I'm sure as hell gonna find out. Come on. He led Billy to the exit, through a hatch in the roof. Officer Raymond spotted a path which would enable them to cross the silo and make it towards the barn without even touching the ground. So that's how he did it. Officer Raymond explained it to Billy. All Billy could do was to dry the tears from his face and attempt to understand what Raymond wished him to do. Okay, officer. I will try, Billy said. Good, Billy. Do this, and you will make it out alive, Raymond assured him. Okay, officer. Here I go. Wait. What will you do? Billy asked. I will be close behind you, don't worry. Now go quickly before they realize what we're up to. Billy began his treacherous ordeal. Raymond was somewhat comforted by the distraction offered by the actions of the herds of animals, whilst feeling partly to blame for their condition. Suddenly there was a scream from Billy. Officer Raymond's hope is shattered once more by the crash of the silo as the bull charged into its base, almost causing young Billy to fall to his death. Officer Raymond, help! I'm slipping! cried Billy. Officer Raymond ran to help Billy. He pulled out his gun and shot at the bull, driving it away, wasting two of his four remaining rounds in vain. As the bull was not persuaded and only strengthened his attack on the silo, Officer Raymond ran and launched himself towards young Billy, sliding down the conical roof towards him and grabbing his arms just in the nick of time. Don't let go, officer! Don't let me go! Please! Billy pleaded. I won't let you go, Billy. I've got you! Raymond reassured him. He began to pull Billy to safety once again, using all his strength. 
Officer Raymond heaved Billy to the edge of the roof and held him close, almost like a father. Thank you, Officer Raymond. Thank you, Billy muttered. It's all right, Billy. It's all right. You're safe now. I'm here. He held Billy's head and stroked his hair, assuring him of the protection he offered against the murderers below. The bull gave up and retreated to the barn, giving a ghostly haunting moo which summoned all the rest to his position, as if to lead them out in one final attempt for blood. We must get to the barn. Now! Raymond urged. They ran together and leapt through the hole in the barn roof, barely making the jump, as several sheep looked on with open mouths, disappointed at their failure. They fell through the roof and shattered timbers with their bodies, splintering each board and whipping up clouds of dust in their haste. Officer Raymond screamed in pain as he landed on a piece of upturned wood, and it pierced through his lower rib, barely missing his lungs. As Raymond attempted to pull away, it caused him severe discomfort, so much so that he cursed aloud and punched the ground. Unclipping his belt, he bit down on it and gripped the splinter with both hands, beginning to count. One, two, three. Three! Ah! He tore the splinter out from his side. The blood began to pour out. Quickly he applied pressure by wrapping his belt around the wound, but fever had already begun to take effect on him. Officer, are you all right? Billy asked. <sighs> no, Billy. Do you have a cloth or something to bind this wound with? Raymond inquired desperately. Billy said, There's a first aid box below us on the wall, but I don't know if it's empty or not. Please, go and take a look. Billy descends the ladder onto the barn floor. He hears the animals congregating just outside the front doors, beginning to push against it in an attempt to pry it open. The collie was beginning to dig once again. Officer, who shut the doors? Weren't they open? Billy asked naively. Yes, they were. Ah, uh, Billy, get up here now! Raymond shouted. Oh, young Billy, you survived. How unfortunate. Officer Chaplin unloads two shots through Billy's sternum. Billy fell to the ground with a look of dismay as his face hit the floor at Chaplin's feet. You sick son of a monster! How could you do that? You demented excuse for a human being! Raymond rants. Always behind. Officer Raymond, I simply cannot and will not let you leave. Why, you would tell them everything now, wouldn't you? Chaplin explained. Why kill them all? Why did you do it? Why the animals? Answer me! Raymond demanded. Oh, but I don't think you have a lot of time left, officer. That wound looks serious. It's a pity, really, that the first aid box isn't there. It's full, you know. I'm looking at it right now. Chaplin toys with Raymond. You're sick, Chaplin. I should have killed you when I had the chance, Raymond remarked. Yes, another mistake you made by arriving here, said Chaplin. You messed everything up with your investigation, and you brought the shepherd out from hiding. What are you talking about? Raymond asked. Well, if you're going to die anyway, it might as well be my voice you hear last. About a hundred years ago, farmland belonged to a war veteran, his wife and child. They cared for and tended to animals for a living, feeding off the fat of the land and farming. 
All was normal until the war veteran returned. He suffered from a condition they call the thousand-yard stare, or post-traumatic stress disorder. This caused him to have outbursts of violence and hostility toward his wife and child, so much so that he began to invite people from the surrounding villages to his farm, so he could kill and butcher them. He poured their blood into the water to recreate that which he had come to know in the war. Of course, what he didn't realize was that the animals then began to drink the water, which slowly gave them a taste for human blood. At first it was little things. You know, licking people's hands for too long, nibbling at fingers and occasionally drawing blood. Soon after it began to worsen, and people started to go missing. As the animal's insatiable hunger for flesh grew, the veteran found himself having to feed them lest he lose his own life. He lured people up here and fed their parts to the animals, but after a while the villages began to be depopulated, and he turned to his wife and son to provide for the animals. Legend has it that he killed and butchered his wife and fed her to his livestock, while the boy ran away into the woodland, never to be heard from until some time later. The veteran, unable to live with what he had done, took a double-barreled rifle and blew his brains out, falling into the water and giving his own blood for his animal's upkeep. Farmland began to die until the child returned with a family of his own, but this generational curse was to live on through him. He was called off to war and started farmland anew. A similar tale of barbarianism and mass murder was followed by the mysterious death of the wife and disappearance of the child. The young man would be, oh, about... Twenty-three years of age by now, Chaplin explained. He has returned from the bloody world war to bring farmland back to life, is that it? Raymond asked. Yes, but with no need for a family, as he has a bustling population now. More townsfolk than he can sample. Only, Chaplin divulged. Only what, Chaplin? Raymond coaxed. When he returned, I was summoned here to farmland. I call on the telephone from one of my constables, and told to bring the townsfolk. If ever I wanted to solve a case of several disappearances I had witnessed for the past two years, in the area surrounding farmland, I followed, and we found ourselves in a similar situation as this one. Each one of us hunted and butchered for parts, strung them up as prized cuts, and stored them for consumption on a massive scale. Funny how it feels, isn't it? You don't think about how it feels for them. Chaplin mocked. Get to the point, Chaplin, Raymond demanded. Yes, right. Well, once everyone was killed, I was left at their mercy, and just like you, they wouldn't kill me. You see, they needed someone to bring people in, so as that they could feed. And I was chosen, Chaplin explained. So, you sacrificed your humanity... For survival, Raymond judged. In a heartbeat, I betrayed hundreds of people, said Chaplin, feeding them to the animals so I could remain alive. And as long as I continue to provide, I am immune. Chaplin gloated. So now what? You kill me and lure several more people up here? Raymond said. Not quite. You see, the village is growing cold again. And even with the amount of people I know, the numbers will diminish over time. 
I'm running out of bodies to provide, Chaplin stated. And you expect me to bring those I know here? Forget it, Chaplin. You're insane. Raymond raged. I thought you might say that. So here is a little incentive. Ah! Raymond cried out. Officer Chaplin fired a round through the exposed wound already bleeding out of Raymond's side. <laughs> Go to hell, Chaplin! Officer Raymond writhed in pain and clutched his ribs, trying to tighten the belt in the hopes of preventing further blood loss. The animals sensing the blood began to respond. Calling out and baying at the door, the collie began to excavate more and more soil as the bull charged against the wooden frames. They will soon be here, Raymond. What do you say we greet them? Chaplin ascended the ladder to feed the animals. He rolled Raymond to the edge of the upper level, overlooking the ground below. Ah, you illegitimate son! Raymond cursed. What is it, Raymond? Do you not wish to survive? You must be willing to do whatever it takes, in order to last longer than them. Over time, they die, and you live, Chaplin stated, perversely, until the shepherd feeds them again. Good, you are beginning to understand, but you still will not yield. Come on, think about it. You can live where others die in your place, in exchange for the weaker to perish and the strong to benefit. Is that not how nature intended it to be? Chaplin justifies. No, good God, man, this is evil. Slaughtering countless numbers of people, selling your soul for a bunch of bloodthirsty animals, and a deranged young man is not natural, Raymond argued. Then your only hope is to replace me, to survive, and I will not go down without a fight, I assure you. Oh, I could kill you right now. One shot would be all it took, and yet I spare you. Because you have been the better sport, and a shepherd likes a good sport. Chaplin divulged. You think that this is some kind of game? Raymond murmured. He does, and I am merely a pawn on his chessboard. A pawn that wishes to survive to become a better piece, a higher piece, immune to attack from those weaker than he. That you'll continue to play... Even if it means damning yourself in the process, Raymond shuddered. How long did you think we could do this, Raymond? Pillage nature's resources and harvesting its animals for mass consumption. Growing them from birth with no greater purpose than to die for us. Except to be bred, fattened, and killed for our sake. Our survival. Well, now the roles are reversed and they're fighting back. They are harvesting us and consuming our parts for their uncontrollable population to bloom. Chaplin admitted. And you are content with this? Raymond asked. So long as I survive, long enough to die of my own accord? Yes. Chaplin agreed. You are truly deranged, Raymond exclaimed. Am I? Or just alive? You see, I am not so stupid as to resist and get eaten. No. I follow, and live a lot longer, like a dog. I place myself at the shepherd's side, helping to tend his flock. And in return, I get to live as I please. Chaplin explained. Until you are to be replaced with a younger dog. Raymond theorizes. Indeed, which I can't let happen. Do you realize the situation? 
I am faced with. Chaplin asked, Officer Chaplin, if you kill me, what is to stop the Shepherd from killing and replacing you anyway? Raymond suggested, That's just it. I'm going to give you a sporting chance. Do you still have your gun? Chaplin challenged. It's over there by the bales of hay. Raymond admitted. Ah, yes, I see it, said Chaplin, putting his extra round into the chamber. Three rounds, much like you gave me, Raymond. Funny how fate has a way of turning things around, isn't it? Chaplin gloats, tossing the gun to Raymond's side. You have a strange and twisted sense of humor, Chaplin. Raymond comments. Here now, said Chaplin. You lie there, and I will walk ten paces this way. When I turn, we fire, and the one who survives becomes the new warden for the shepherd. Agreed? Chaplin suggested. You are truly lost, Chaplin. I don't want any part of this. Let me leave, and I will say no more about this place. You have my word. I will not wish anyone to come here at all. Raymond offered. Well, you see, I've told you what we require. Chaplin demanded. Well, I'm not going to play your games. Understand, officer? I'm not playing this sick little game. You can go to hell! Raymond exclaims. Have it your way, officer. But I warned you. He turns away from Officer Raymond and begins to walk ten paces. He counts. One. Three. Seven. Ten. He turns and clicks the trigger, and he soon realizes that he has no ammunition. As nothing leaves the barrel, Chaplin's eyes widen as Officer Raymond fires not one, not two, but three rounds through Officer Chaplin. The first passes through his shoulder, severing a wire attached to the pulley system and hook lever. The second passes through his chest towards a drum of fuel that was left for the tractor which once sat there, and the third goes straight through his heart, breaking the padlock, holding the front gates shut. As Officer Chaplin turns and falls against the front gates, he utters his final words which would burn into the heart of Officer Raymond for eternity. <laughs> I have always been proud of you, son. Now I leave you to a fate worse than death. He pulls open the bar of wood that is holding the gates closed and collapses to the floor. The collie bursts through the gates and begins to drag Chaplin's corpse outside. None of the animals enter as they begin to consume their former warden. With no sense of loyalty, they pry him apart, devouring his internal organs, rolling in blood and entrails as they tear him limb from limb. Officer Raymond uses the cable now severed to pull himself up, giving himself a mild electric shock. The power was hardly enough to operate machinery, let alone the lever once more. He pulls himself to his feet and begins to walk into the centre of the barn, bleeding from his head, shoulder and side, leaking into a pool now mixing with the fuel which poured from the barrel just metres away, drowning his feet and a large area of the floor around him. And welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where we discuss the chapter that's just been read to you and go into discussion of the ideas that have been presented in the formation of this chapter. So getting started off, we see the animals in their darkest form during the course of this chapter in the sense that the gore is intensified to its highest level 
We see the most graphic depictions yet within this chapter. And basically what that is, is describing the monster or the entity that you're using in your story to its ultimate incarnation, so to speak. So it's like the final reveal of the monster in its truest form. It's like all that culmination of terror and suspense and grotesque description. It all culminates in this big reveal. And in this, it's not so much the description of the animals themselves, but it's the description of what they are capable of. The second point is we see another example of using suspense in your writing, but it doesn't necessarily have to be involving the entity itself. It can be the use of the environment. Now, we've mentioned this in previous episodes that you can cause the environment to be somewhat hostile. That doesn't necessarily mean that the environment has to be an isolated environment or there's elements of the environment that are somewhat hazardous, like if you're climbing a cliff or something like that. But in this case... The environment comes into play as Billy is walking across the roof of the silo and because the roof is conical, he slips, he loses his footing and he starts to fall off the edge of the silo and Officer Raymond then has to run and launch himself after Billy just to catch him in the nick of time and this is a great way of building suspense without necessarily including the entity because it's not so much that they're afraid that Billy's going to die by the animals but it's a case of he's going to fall to his death. So it's something to bear in mind when you're building suspense in your writing that you don't always have to rely on the entity itself to build that suspense. You can use the environment to work for you as well. You can build up suspense. You can build up terror in other ways that don't necessarily involve direct fear of the entity itself. The third point is we see the ultimate character reveal in Officer Chaplin. Now, all the way through this story, our goal was to create a despised character, a character in Officer Chaplin that everything he did, everything that he personified was despised. Like everything he did, it just made you want to hate that character. Now, there's a specific name for it. I can't remember what the name is exactly, but there's a term to which you can use in writing that depicts basically you're using a character or you're building this character because you want the readers to hate them. You want them to have this negative reaction to this character so that by the end of the story should they meet their end it's almost satisfying for the reader and that's exactly the kind of effect that we were trying to create with Officer Chaplin during the course of this chapter. The fourth point is the use of monologuing as a means of exposition. Now what I mean by that is exposition is basically giving background details on something that hasn't really been explained very well. Now through the course of this story as you'll know not a lot of details have been given. This is very much what I would consider a short story. And there hasn't really been much attention paid to things like the backstory. And that's sort of part and parcel because it's only a short story. There's not really much time. There's not much room for details. So what we do is in this chapter, we take advantage of a monologue, which is basically a discussion between the ultimate antagonist, in this case being Officer Chaplin, and the protagonist being Officer Raymond. They're having like a final showdown, a final conversation. And during the course of that monologue, the exposition then comes out. We hear the backstory of farmland, the fact that it belonged to a war veteran. And Officer Chaplin goes into all the detail behind farmland, behind its history, that it's had a dark and bloody history for a 100 years prior to this. And that Chaplin has spent the majority of his tenure as the officer around Wraith's Creek bringing people in and sacrificing them as the warden to this shepherd of Wraith's Creek. And it just helps basically to give that exposition. It gives 
a backstory to this otherwise unknown and mysterious area of Wraith's Creek. The final point is we see that Chaplin mentions the last words uttered by Raymond's father, indicating the reason behind his disappearance. Now, if we cast our minds back to the first chapter, the reason that Raymond got involved with this case in the first place is because his father went missing 10 years ago investigating this case. Because of that, Raymond goes into this case sort of headfirst, and he's now subject to everything that unfolds. And the whole reason he got involved was because he was hoping to find out what happened to his father. And what Officer Chaplin then reveals is that he was there at the last moment, that Raymond's father was in the same position Raymond is now, and Chaplin killed his father. And then as an ultimate mockery, just before Chaplin is taken by the animals and consumed, it's almost like the last jab to the ribs, if you will. Chaplin turns around and mentions those last words uttered by Raymond's father that will stick with him for the rest of the story. And it's just a way that we sort of, we put the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, as Chaplin as this despised and loathsome character. It's like that last little dig that he gets in just before he dies. It's not enough that he's been shot three times and then taken out and consumed by animals. He really does deserve his ill fate because he then goes on to say, look, you know, as if the things I've done already aren't bad enough, I also was the reason your dad was taken in the first place, why you never knew what happened to him. I was the person behind it all. And it just helps to solidify the story and how much darkness there is as a theme around Wraith's Creek and how Officer Chaplin is linked to the majority of that darkness. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. Let's go ahead and get into the next one. And welcome to the tips of the trade section of this podcast. This is the section of the podcast where, as it says, we discuss tips of the trade. For those of you who are aspiring to be authors, or those of you who are already authors just looking for that little bit extra. So today, we're going to be continuing on from the last episode, as in a two-part session where we were discussing the pros and cons between the differences in writing in first person and writing in third person. The last episode, we discussed the pros and cons of writing in first person, This episode is going to be discussing the pros and cons of writing in third person. Now, throughout both parts of the session, we sort of discussed both in turn. So if you want to catch the pros and cons of all the first person and all the third person, I would listen to both those sessions just to bring you up to speed. But today is going to be more of a focus on third person. So getting started off, one of the pros to writing in third person when compared to first person, is it's a lot easier to dissociate yourself from the work, which makes it easier to swallow things from a critical point of view. Now, obviously, criticism is going to be an episode in itself and how to deal with that, how to cope with those things. But writing in third person, dissociating yourself from your work to an extent can help you to deal with criticism, especially if that criticism is somewhat harsh. Because if you have a first person perspective, you tend to become, as we've mentioned in the previous episode, personally attached because you're trying to implicate yourself in the story. So when someone criticizes that story, it's almost like you can't help but take it as a personal attack to yourself. So with third person, where these characters are fictional, they're made up and they don't necessarily have that personal connection to you, it's less likely that you will take it as a personal attack and more of a critique on the work itself, which is obviously a pro, in my opinion, for writing in third person. 
it helps you to deal with that criticism a lot easier. The next pro is the fact that when you're writing in third person, you don't have to be restricted. Now, we mentioned this again in the previous episode, where if you're writing in first person, you can become restricted as to what you can survey. Because you're telling it through the perspective of one character, you're quite limited in what that character can see. In third person, because you have this more omniscient, ever-present narrator style, it means that you can jump between these points in your fictional world. So if I use an example to better explain it, if you have a story like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, the whole of Middle-earth is represented just as much as the realm in Game of Thrones is represented because the narrator, the author, either George R.R. R. Martin or J.R.R. R. Tolkien, they both can sort of jump from point to point between these fictional realm and they can describe to you a group of characters that may not be necessarily linked to each other, but it helps to sort of flesh out this world. It's known as world building. Now, we've mentioned this in previous episodes as well. The fact that as a third person narrator, one of the things you can do is build this fictional world. You can start going into things like the architecture and the topography, the geography of this fictional realm that you're creating. And in third person, you can jump between areas. You can go from Mordor to the Shire in Lord of the Rings. In Game of Thrones, you've got all the different clans and you've got all the different families. You've got Winterfell. You've got all these different sorts of areas that you jump between within the same book that sort of fleshes out this world all in one experience, as opposed to having to stick with one group of characters and then sort of go along a journey to describe as much as possible, but you don't get the whole thing. We sort of see a contrast if we take, for example, the Chronicles of Narnia. If you take the Chronicles of Narnia series, you see a group of characters. And like I said, that's a group of characters where you'll be introduced to one place and then another series of characters. Whereas if you take a third person perspective... There is the opportunity, should you choose to do so, that you can describe all of those areas, all of those groups of characters, all in one story. Obviously, the con of that being sometimes it can become quite overwhelming in the sense of you end up with a book the size of the Oxford Dictionary as opposed to something the size of Horrible Histories. It all depends on your readers. It depends on whether they're able to consume that amount of literature in a sitting and if they don't get daunted if they don't feel daunted by your work but it really depends on how far you want to go in the extent of building your world so just summing up the difference between writing in first person and writing in third person i would say the ultimate pro of first person is that you have the ultimate form of escapism and expression of yourself so we've mentioned this in the previous part that you are able to customize a character or you're able to embody yourself within a particular character that you're telling the story from. And this allows you to escape into this fictional realm that you've otherwise created. It's a rare experience that we as creators are allowed to do. It's the same as if you're making a film and you put yourself as a cameo in it, or you create a video game. And sometimes you can actually play video games. Um, a lot of video games come to mind like Sims and Animal Crossing, things like Skyrim, you know, RPG, role-playing games that allow you to customize your character so that they look like you. Your responses will obviously be the responses that you choose. So it sort of helps to embody this escapism for yourself. You become more personally attached. You feel like you're actually part of this journey, part of this fictional realm. And that is sort of almost like a liberating experience. It allows you to escape the realms of reality 
during the course of your creative work. And I feel like as a creator, that's probably the ultimate pro of writing in first person is that you're actually allowed to embody yourself in your creative work so that you feel like you're more than just the person who wrote this. You're actually a part of it. It's living and breathing just like you are. It's like the ultimate form of expression. In third person, the ultimate pro to that is you have unlimited potential. So you can literally achieve anything. You can jump between corner and corner of your fictional realm. You can embody any character you wish. You can create as many characters as you want. You could create your own fictitious language, like in the sense of J.R.R. Tolkien with Elvish and even to some extent H.P. Lovecraft with the alien languages that he created in the summoning of the Elder Gods. You can create your own language. You can create basically, in essence, your whole world. You can create a universe. Literally, there is no limit to your power as a creative mind when you're writing in third person. So long as you go into those kind of depths to fully flesh it out, there's really no limit to your potential. You can create a world that is just as believable, just as livable within as the one we inhabit now. And that is like, that sums up the ultimate power of being able to write in third person, which I would argue is the ultimate pro of writing in third person. Is there a right way to write first person or third person? I would say no. Whatever favours you best, that's the one you should go for. As we're constantly encouraging you, whatever works for you best, go with that because it's whatever you feel comfortable with. You're the writer, you're the creator, whatever works best for you, do that. But give them both a try. I would advise you give them both a try. We've tried our hand at writing first person and third person and some of the effects that we've created have come out really well. So be sure to give them both a try and should you prefer one or the other or should you like both, it just adds another depth to the level of creativity that you experience as a writer and hopefully you'll get enjoyment out of challenging yourself or just sticking to what's best okay that about sums it up for this section and that does it for episode six once again guys thank you for tuning in really means the world to us that you would take time out of your otherwise busy schedule just to make us a part of it as always, we'll endeavour to include all the links below to any information that's been mentioned during the course of this episode so that you have free access to that. Right now, we're just going to take some time to promote a project that's been done by a personal friend of ours, Brandon Taylor, known as Taylor's Trades. You'll find the links below to all of his relevant websites. Basically, what it is, as we've discussed during the course of this season, it's a middleman service that Brandon operates from Southampton and it goes all across the UK that allows you to buy, sell and trade goods all across the United Kingdom without having to worry about things like postage and packing. And it's a courier service that allows you to buy, sell and trade goods all across the UK. Brandon already has over a thousand reviews, most of which are positive reviews. He's already delivered over £400,000 worth of goods across the UK. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, be sure to head on over there. Head on over to one of those websites, either Instagram, Twitter or Facebook link, and be sure to pop him a message. And I'm sure Brandon would be happy to hear from you. Okay, as always, guys, really appreciate you tuning in. We're so close to the end of the season now, and I hope that you've enjoyed it thus far. And you'll enjoy the next episode as we wrap this season three up. Whatever you're planning to do today... Go out there and boss it. I hope you have a wonderful day and an even better week. I'm Wayne Telford and I'll see you next time.